Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy to use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years. And we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build a Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction. And we are on board. To learn more about how Build a Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, Visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build a Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. We are just a few months away from the Contractors Coalition Summit here in Scottsdale, Arizona. It'll begin on Sunday, May 7th and complete on Wednesday, May 10th. We had two events that were completely sold out last year. The first one in Nashville, second one in Huntington Beach with Nick Schiffer from NS Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style. Again, make sure that you get out to Scottsdale. It's going to be an amazing event. We only have a few seats left, and we're going to be speaking about all things pricing, project management, how to make money inside and outside of your business, You know, contracts, client expectations, building that organization, and again, just the marketing aspect, social media. One of the most amazing values of this conference is not only the content that's produced and a lot of the information that's handed out to those that attend, but also the networking, being there with 30 like-minded builders around the country, being able to have someone to contact and reach out to on any questions you have moving forward. It is an amazing event. Hurry and sign up. Again, www.contractorscoalitionsummit.com. We'll see you in May. I think why I gravitate towards residential is there's that connection with people. Like, yes, there's that headache factor that a lot of people don't like about residential, but there's this real connection with people like you're part of their life for a short period of time you get to know them you get to know their children you get to know about their family you meet their parents a lot of time because they come tour the projects you meet their friends something about that really makes it all worthwhile when it's all said and done and you finish this project and you got this beautiful family moving into this house and you're like we did that we helped create this memory for them so welcome to the AT Construction Podcast, and we have Tim Coffin with us. He is owner, founder of Alderview Construction in Colorado. Welcome, Tim. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you surviving the winter there, getting ready to actually do some construction now? Yeah, the sun's actually coming out now, and the snow's melting, so. <laughs> so how does that work for you as you're looking at your projects? I don't whether you're cost plus lump sum. How do you factor in, you know, snow removal, especially on a heavy winter such as this one we've had? Um, you know, blankets, you know, doing foundation. How does that just really impact not only the construction schedule, but cost of the job? Yeah. So in Denver, I mean, we don't get a ton of snow down here. I mean, we'll get snow. We'll get usually a couple really heavy down um, snowfalls and then usually it melts. But what we do on our renovations is we have a snow removal line item that's basically just per hour that we charge if it's a renovation. So if we're having to shovel driveway walkways, uh, we'll charge by the hour for that one. And then on a new build, we have allowance for there for snow removal on the job site. If it goes into concrete, then we just bill, you know, based on how many blankets we have to use. Our concrete guy will give us a 
an hourly rate for that. It's, so it always handled by allowance for both remodel, renovation, and new build? Yeah, because we never really know. I mean, it's one of those line items where you just don't know. I mean, like this winter, we had a little bit more snowfall than we usually have. And snow basically came right at the end of December, and it stayed on the ground for longer than it usually stays on the ground. So that impacts a lot of things. We have frozen ground. You can't do a lot of your site work stuff. How do you factor in? Because I would imagine... Uh, even when you guys are doing exterior stone, right? When it's super cold, you're putting on exterior stone, you have to have the big tarps out, you know, heaters in there. Are you, when you're pricing a job, and maybe I seem just naive to this and people listen will laugh just being in Arizona, like this is not <laughs> common to me, but yeah. you know, how, how, how many allowances are there typically for all of the subs outside of concrete excavation? Do you put allowances in? Is it dependent on what time of season you're going to be breaking ground and you try to anticipate when you're going to be actually doing that actual work? Yeah. So what we'll do is we put together the schedule in the beginning and kind of factor into when the snow is going to start falling. So usually we get our first snowfall Halloween timeframe. And so we kind of figure, see what phase of the project we'll be in at that time. So it really depends. I mean, if we're going full bore and it's critical path where we got to get that brick in or get that stone in, then we'll factor in, you know, blankets, heaters, all that stuff. But usually we have a line item for temp heat because regardless of the phase, usually we have to do temp heat in some fashion or mm -hmm. another. Yeah, Tempeed. I mean, that's always a big thing. I remember I, I did work as a subcontractor in Utah for a while, and the Tempeed was always important, right? To get the building closed, getting heat in there, just so you can function, actually have the right temp. You know, I mean, for us, we have to acclimate the house for heat, right? So for us, a big thing is, yeah. especially wood flooring, we have to get wood flooring acclimated, get in the home. That way, we don't have any issues, you know, of the expansion and contraction that can happen. So. Yeah. So what we'll do is usually, sometimes it works out, like we'll ask our HVAC subcontractor sometimes they have a temp furnace that they'll put in so like we're doing a new build now and they just so happened that they had an old furnace that was kind of taken off a job that they couldn't resell so they put that in as a temp furnace we got that in as their temp heat so that way drywall dust and everything going through the system it's not going through a brand new furnace and then right before we turn it over they'll swap that out to the new furnace so what's interesting is for you i mean you start at hensel phelps which is a massive commercial firm i mean hensel right. does some major projects. I know you worked on the airport down here in Phoenix. Um, maybe speak about that, you know, the journey into the commercial world. Yeah. So it was quite the journey. So I went into school kind of with that mentality, like I'm going to work on the biggest, baddest projects out there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that was the dream. That was the thing. And so I looked at the companies, which ones Hensel Phelps was one that just seemed to jive the most with their culture and everything else. So I got hired on with Hensel Phelps and it was great. Everything was good. And then, you know, started having children and started moving around a lot. And at first it was like, Oh, this is fun. This is exciting. We get to move around. And then after a few moves, it's like, yeah, maybe this isn't ideal. You know, we probably want to settle down more. And then that, that glitz and that glamor slowly started fading away and just realizing that it wasn't a good fit for me. You know, I just realized I'm not the best employee and realized that my spirit always kind of has that entrepreneur spirit <laughs> and that drive and that determination. So when you say you're not the best employee, why is that? <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of it is just my mentality. I just have that drive, that determination where I like to be able to have control of the situation. I like to be able to know where I'm living. I like to be able to know who I'm working with, the type of projects I'm doing. And you just don't get that, right? Working with another firm, you just don't have those decisions because you're not part of that decision-making So maybe I think this is a really important topic because, you know, with – 
just my experience, right? In general, like there is a lot of stability in the commercial world. I mean, because sure. they're working. Yeah. I mean, you're doing industrial stuff. You're doing heavy commercial. You're doing government stuff. I mean, a lot of these big companies, I mean, even in the recession, a lot of my peers who are in commercial are pretty busy. You know, it's not ebbs and flow of housing can be a little bit different in residential. So there's that security. However, there is price to that, right? As you mentioned, I know that I, one of the reasons I actually looked at Hensel Phelps, which is kind of funny out of college and I had an <laughs> offer from Hensel Phelps. And one of the reasons it was kind of on the commercial side, the reason why I didn't end up doing it was, as you mentioned, I mean, there was a lot of relocation happening and I'd be moving around a lot. And so you look at that, it's kind of tough. Um, and that's one of the prices you pay, even though there's a lot of benefits, you know, down the road. Um, but it's not as stationary, right. As other projects. Right. Um, how long were you at Hensel Phelps? How often were you traveling just in that time that you were there? So I was with them for right about five years. And in that time frame, I was on, let's see, four, four to three different projects, depending on. So I started off, I was down at Sky Harbor. I was on that project, which was a really big one. And then from there, we went to Nogales doing the port of entry down there, which was an awesome one, a huge self-performed concrete project. We did all the tilt up work and slab on grade on that project. And then from there, I went to the Tucson Air Traffic Control Tower. So they had you down in Arizona the whole time. Yep, I was down in so Arizona. <laughs> you want well, to get out of you go to Colorado? <laughs> that was the funny thing. I was like, you know, got hired on. I'm like, okay, it'll be great because their headquarters is out in Colorado. I'm like, okay, I'll get out <laughs> in the Colorado office. And then I end up in Phoenix, which was fine. I mean, Phoenix is great, but a lot of our family and stuff is out here. So that was kind of the big determining factor is looking at it and saying, okay, what do we want for the future of our family? Family is like really a huge priority for us. And where do we want to raise our children? And ultimately it's like, we want to raise them around their family and be back in Colorado. And so what does that move look like? And what's the next transition from there? Well, and just for those listening, I mean, Ogalis, I'm sure is an amazing project, probably <laughs> not the funnest place to raise a family, you know? And Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here. Great project. But there's one of those things where it's like, I'm at work all day and then get home. And I was like, yeah, probably not the best situation for everybody else. Not, not a whole lot, a whole lot to do in the nightlife down there. So yeah, not, not a lot of work-life balance. Right. Because, you know, just like, you know, Brad, but in the commercial side, when you're doing concrete, I mean, it's so hot in the summertime that you're starting your pours off at three in the morning. So on the superintendent side, we'd be there at three in the morning, starting our pours off. And then since we're on the management, I mean, you're not finished out your day until five thirty, six o'clock, finish up all your paperwork and then 45 minute drive back home. Yeah, it's tough, you know, and that's the thing. I remember I was visiting uh, Whiting Turner in Vegas um, at a college. And when I was there, I, they had me shadow some of the supers that were on there. And they were actually at the time building the Palms, right? So you had mm -hmm. the, the Palms, you know, Hotel Casino. The first one was built. They were working on the second one at the time. And uh, I just remember talking to them like, how, you know, how's the project going? How do you guys like it? And, you know, same thing. Oh, it's awesome. We're working on this casino. We're living in Vegas. Pretty cool. And I'm like, okay. And they're all, but the bad thing is, you know, we haven't had a day off in eight and a half months, Monday through Sunday. And, you know, <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. 5 I'm leaving at 8 p.m. And it's just, it's tough. It's, it's just a tough lifestyle. Yeah. So you look at that, like you talked about risk, right? Like mm -hmm. obviously there's risk going on your own. There's huge risk on that, right? Going from commercial residential, I came back to Colorado, had no contacts whatsoever in the residential world and really had to start from scratch. I mean, didn't have any designers I'd worked with anything. We hadn't even lived in Colorado. So we moved straight from Arizona back to Colorado. And then within a year we started um, Alderview construction. So, so that was a, that was a huge change. 
So you go from commercial work at full time in Arizona, and then you're like, you know, we're going back to Colorado doing residential with no contacts. It's just a blind start. Yep. Yeah. So, so where did you rough, even start? <laughs> I mean, because there's 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 a time frame to get licensed, to get business set up, LLC. I mean, whatever it is, you know, speak to maybe that. Just I'm sure that was a chaotic time of life for you. Oh, it's chaotic, you know. And at the time, I was basically would go on my lunch break, and I was studying for the contractor exam on my lunch break. And do that for an hour and then go back to the office and hit the project and then get done with it and continue on family life. So, I mean, that was a big transition. I still remember that day where it's that call where they transferred me to another project. And I was like, okay, I think this is the time. So I called my wife and I was like, yeah, I think, uh, I think now's the time. And she was pregnant with our, what would it be our fourth at the time. And I mean, it was, it was a big thing. And she, great, luckily she's been so supportive. I mean, she's such a supportive wife. I think you have to have a supportive spouse being in this industry. I mean, it just demands so much of you, whether you're working commercial, residential, or you're working for yourself, it just demands so much of you. Yeah, it does demand a lot. So maybe before getting into the specifics of you as a startup, I know technology is a big part of your company now. And I would imagine mm-hmm. it was at Hensel Phelps. How, how did maybe the education and experience being at Hensel Phelps catapult you, you know, set you up for success now with all of you? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I think at Hensel Phelps, they saw the value of technology. So they're really big on training their employees, giving them the right system, the right process so that they can succeed. And so we learned Revit. That was a big thing. We learned how to use Revit, AutoCAD. We were doing all the surveying, all the layout for the crews. And so really learning how just to build the building from the ground up, but also how to draw the building and work with the architect team and the interior design team. And so when I started my own company, I'm like, that's going to be something that's really important that I think is missing a lot in the residential world is that you just don't have people that are as savvy on the technology side or as save, savvy working with interior designers or architects. And so when I started Alderview, I was like, I want to make sure I bring that piece from Hensel Phelps and I bring that into the residential world and see if it gives me an edge above my competition, which I feel it really does. Why, why would Hensel Phelps, uh, just out of curiosity, push on you to learn Revit and AutoCAD? I think because they saw the value in it. You know, They would pay for these courses like Bluebeam, for instance. We'd, they'd pay for us to go to these courses that were like a week-long kind of crash course on Bluebeam or Revit so that we could learn those skills so we could better communicate as a builder and better communicate to the owner side and to everyone else who are crews out on site. It was kind of that whole, the motto that they had is like, if you can't draw it, you can't build it. So if you're not able to draw it on Revit, on AutoCAD, then how are you going to build out in the field? That was a huge thing. You know, it's interesting that perspective. And I think this is valuable for anyone listening is what, no matter your industry, is that if you learn those tools, you know, you mentioned Bluebeam in there, but specifically CAD, I've seen just with my team, some of my employees are actually really skilled with um, CAD and mm-hmm. they can draw stuff out. And what's interesting about that is we still have projects where we have full architectural drawings. You know, we have full design specs from our designer, like really savvy, sophisticated designs and information, but things come up like they just oh, yeah. do. I mean, it's building. Yeah. And, and, and part of the issue is that, in this time of pre-con, where the architect's going this way and the designer's going this way, sometimes a lot of that information's not, you know, sent to each other, right? We don't have that cross-examination right. between the two. And so you get to the field and who takes precedent, the architectural drawings or the design book. And so what I found is that my supers that can draw stuff up quickly by using AutoCAD, they'll draw it up. 
and send it out to architect designer, possibly client to get it signed off. And the level of sophistication is pretty impressive because it, it shows the super really understands the detail. They can draw it up and then now they can actually make sure that it's built right. And we don't have any mistakes, you know, further down the road. No, I completely agree with that. I think it's one of those things where a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So there's sometimes where you can explain it. I can type it up in email, do all these things, but there's right. sometimes in construction, you just have to draw it out. Even to this day, me, even, even as an owner of the company, I, I don't use Revit every day, but we do have Revit on our computer and we use SketchUp, but there's times where it's like, I'm trying to convey a certain point to an interior designer or to the architect or how a detail is going to work out or how we want to do a certain structural element on a project. It's just nice to be able to have that know-how and be able to draw it up and convey that message, which in I, return I, gets a better product and it saves money as well for the homeowner. Yeah. What's fascinating about that, Tim, I know you've been big on technology since I've known you. And what's interesting is you, when you were out here, you were out here last week. So Tim came down and he and I were able to spend some time together and you and my team. And Saturday, you went by one of our projects, the project Blow Your Mind, right? Um, mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that project, the client had two lots and there were two existing homes and we demoed them and did a lot combination. But I remember I'd hired Spencer at the time, my Spencer. And of course, he's super sophisticated with Bluebeam. I mean, he's he's the one who's trained our entire company and went on how to use Bluebeam. And now it's yeah. like a core element of the company. So at the time, and where this kind of clicked for me, even though I'd been in technology and worked you know, I had never really used Bluebeam to this level, but the client, we're on a Zoom call and uh, the client was talking about, okay, with the existing structures, I want to keep some of the orange trees, right? I want to keep, there's some elements of the existing property I want to keep and build around. And typically most of us say, okay, that's fine. Let's meet on site. Let's set up a meeting. We'll go walk, we'll tag them or whatever, right? And it's just Spencer in a matter of a couple minutes pulls up like the Google image, you know, vertical shot a lot, yeah. zooms in, yeah. puts it on Bluebeam. You know, has it all editable. You know, he's sitting there with the client and they're just doing it right there. And literally in five minutes, it's done. And then he could send that to the landscape architect. Landscape architect incorporates that on his design. And I'm like, we just saved all this time going oh, totally. to the site because it's done right here just via this call. Oh, yeah. You're speaking my language. I mean, that we'll do that with our site logistics. We'll do a Google Earth shot and it's like, where are we placing the dumpsters? Where are we placing porta potties? Turn that in for permanent. It's like you're saying, it's it's so quick and we're able to be reactive and and put that out there. And there's really no question once you have that drawing and you send that out to the team, there's no mistake of, do they want the dumpster over here? Where was the site entry gate going to be? It was, so we do, we'll do our takeoffs on there for like site fence. We'll do all that stuff on there and have that ahead of time. So what's interesting is I just being, you know, of course I'm not, I don't know all the inner workings of every company, but when you came out to him, I'm thinking you're a lot bigger company and there's four of you. I mean, I'm just amazed at the amount of work you're doing with four and especially you and Brian being in the field. How, you know, how has that been just training the rest of your team with some of the technology and systems and, you know, their reception to it? Yeah. So I think that's one thing when we hire people, we look, make sure that they are going to use technology that they care about it because that's important for us. You know, if we have a superintendent that's out there and he's doing everything by hand and he's doing hand sketches and he's doing a schedule by hand, that's not going to work with our system. It's not going to work with our process and it's not going to work how we're conveying that to, to the clients. And so I think with us utilizing technology, it's allowed us to take on a lot more projects than, you know, typical companies our size. I mean, we talk with a lot of different builders and a lot of the builders our size they have a lot bigger staff than we do, which cut, you know, they have a lot bigger overhead. So good or bad, you know, 
I think technology helps you to kind of utilize that and you're able to farm out some of the stuff that other people have to hire a full-time person for. So for those listening that maybe aren't optimizing technology as they should, what would you recommend? What are programs, you know, systems you're using currently that have been super beneficial? Uh, we spoke about Bluebeam, but you can, you know, yeah. expand, you know, expand upon that. Yeah, I think Bluebeam's great, but I think the most beneficial one to us to this date has been Build-A-Trend. You know, we got on Build-A-Trend about three years ago and we were kind of dabbling in it. We were using it for some things like maybe our daily reports. We were kind of using it on there, not really utilizing it to the full capability. And then a year ago, we made a commitment as a company like, okay, let's try to run our projects 100% on Build-A-Trend. And that's changed a lot. Like even getting our, our homeowners on Build-A-Trend, keeping things organized, getting the schedule on there, that's helped a lot. It's helped to set that precedence for our clients. So a lot of our clients say, they have multiple homes. So the home we're doing, they maybe they have a home up in the mountains as well. And we're doing a home down in Denver for them. And so they're not able to be on pro, on the site all the time. And so by utilizing that technology, it gives us that cutting edge and saying, you don't have to be here all the time. We have this, we have the management tools in place and we could run this project hundred percent without you. If you want to be here, that's great, but we actually don't need you to be here. That's incredible. Let me ask you this, maybe the scheduling aspect, because we use Bill of Trump for our scheduling um, and as you're speaking, it prompted me on something, especially with mm-hmm. your background at Hensel Phelps. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I was educated in college with scheduling, and especially when I worked for a commercial company, mm-hmm. you know, as you're building your schedule, you would have like an owner schedule, right? And you'd have a builder yeah. schedule, which are different, right. right? Because you'd have like early start, early finish, and then late start, late finish. So you're kind of yeah. working off two different things because you're trying to under promise over deliver, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. and to some extent in commercial, there are liquidated damages, LDs. So you, you do have to factor on that. Um, but in residential, I've kind of had an awakening on this, if I can like confess this right now. So what's interesting <laughs> is I was, there, there's um, some peers of mine for one of our suppliers and they're doing a remodel. And I was, we were with them at dinner. And as we're sitting there at dinner, you know, they're going through Builder Trend because their their remodeler uses Builder Trend and they're going through the schedule and they're like, ah. You know, windows are delayed, so they just moved our schedule out, you know, to move in this date. And I asked them, I said, do you have the full schedule? Like, is that their actual, like, schedule? And they said, yeah, it's everything. Like, they they share mm-hmm. every little element. And it's weird because there's always been this, like, cat and mouse game, right, in commercial. Yeah. At least that's been my background. And what, what, what I – what kind of I had this kind of epiphany, if you will, is it's like, you know, so many times clients are making changes to projects, right? And – you know, as much as we can t- do a change order and document delay days and we can explain it to them and we can email them and we can have on-site meetings, you know, if they have a schedule that's done to the beginning and the minute they make a change, that's fine. Bam. It just moved and it just moved again. That's what we're doing now. Yeah. So I'm like, let's give them the end date because worst case, someone doesn't perform, material's not here. At least we can tie it to a certain point in schedule and then account for it. And I don't want to say justify it, but at least we understand together on what we can do, you know, what's, what, how has that been for you? Just your history of scheduling at Hensel Phelps to now, you know, being in the residential sector. Yeah. So to be totally honest, I mean, we started off doing kind of the same thing you were, cause I was used to the commercial background. So we came in, it's like, okay, let's hold our own private schedule. That's just alter view schedule. And then we have the owner schedule that has some fluff built into it. And then it got to a point where it's too difficult trying to manage two different schedules. And it's like, okay, did I send that one to the subcontractors? <laughs> and I gave them the early start date and then it just got confusing. And then we changed pretty early on. We changed to the point where like, okay, let's be transparent and send the schedule to 
our owners and let's all live off the same schedule. I guess the mentality I have is our clients are holding us to a high standard. And so why should I hold them to a high standard as well? So if you're going to expect a lot out of me as your contractor and your standards are really high and when your expectations are really high, I'm going to have the same for you as well. My expectations for you are going to be high. I'm expecting you to stay up to date on the changes that we're, we're, are taking place, stay up to date on the materials that need to be selected, all these things that are going on. That's what I'm expecting of you since you're expecting that out of, out of me. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, uh, you know, it's something I was just making a note here that, you know, we do our weekly production meetings and uh, we've been talking about scheduling a lot. And so note to self, I'm going to make sure that all my clients have the builder schedule. So it's going to put them on the hot seat to make sure they have accurate <laughs> schedules. It, well, it so. does. And it, go, it goes both ways because it, it puts your team, you know, holds you to a higher standard. Your team realizes, okay, so what we do is we'll have the schedule goes live on Friday. So like we'll, we'll edit it that week. There's changes that happen that week. And then Friday, it's like it goes live on Friday. It's live and then we'll turn it off on Monday because things happen, things change, and then it'll go back live again on Friday. So it's not this 100% always live schedule. We have yeah. chances to edit it but and tweak change it. it. Yeah, tweak it. It's a little bit more challenging a renovation as well. Uh, you know, so renovation, obviously, it's the schedules are very micro where you have tasks that are you know, one day to a week, whereas a new build, those tasks can be two weeks to four weeks, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. So it's a little bit more challenging in a renovation because say you have carpet going in on Monday and you can't get it Monday because of snowstorm or whatever, and it goes in on Friday. The homeowners looking at that and say, oh, it didn't go in on Monday. You know, it's a huge deal. So sometimes we have to be cognizant of that and realize, okay, it's going to happen this week. It may not happen on Monday, but it's going to happen on Wednesday. So, yeah, and that and that's true. And I think maybe to push back on that is the reality is there has to be some owner expectations we sent, some clarity, right? And and maybe there's some yep. education of critical path to our clients. Um, but even if they don't have the schedule, there may be lulls in the schedule that's natural to the build, right? You may be doing drywall right. and you're waiting for it to cure to and they're like, Why is no one on my project? Like right. you know, I have interest accruing no one's there. So these things are still gonna come up when they're visiting the project, whether or not they're seeing a schedule. And it's just more that education, you know, and making sure we're communicating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're dealing with that. I was dealing with that with my superintendent today because I said, how come we don't have any crews on site? And he's like, well, we finished framing early. So from our expectations, like, okay, we're ahead of schedule. We were supposed to finish on Friday. We finished on Wednesday with the framing. The homeowner is going to show up and say, no one's on site. You know, yeah. so I was telling my superintendent, like, hey, you got to make sure you educate the client and say, hey, we're actually two days ahead on the framing, but everything else is still on track. But it doesn't mean we're going to start drywall sooner. It's like we're just two days ahead on framing. I love that you said that because this goes back the constant theme that I have is we should always be playing off. Like I'm a big sports guy. So I always tell my team, we should be playing offense. It's always playing offense. And when, what I mean by that is when you get in a defensive position. So in this case, if the client calls you and says, Hey Tim, no one's on side of my project. It's completely quiet. You're a mod automatically on the defense mode, right? You're trying right. to, yeah. and, and, and there could be a rhyme or reason, but it just makes the client feel they have to micromanage you. But if you're playing offense, if you go to them and say, look, we're ahead of schedule. We already had our mechanical team booked. They're coming in right after. Keep in mind that they've been scheduled months out because they're super booked. You know, they have other jobs. We're going to hit our schedule, but that's why there's a lull, you know, and then the client's like, okay, thanks for letting me know. You know, yep. I'm glad you're on top of it. And they, they, they can, you just feel a sense of relief that they don't feel like they have to babysit you. Yeah. Expectations. I think expectations are so huge, right? And that's one thing coming from commercials, like 
expectations, whenever there was issues, there was conflict, whenever there was contention on a project, usually it came because expectations weren't being met by the owner side, by the design team side or the contractor side. So it's like clearly stating those expectations from the beginning when you're selling the project to the clients and not overstating things that you can do and can't do is is huge. And so it's like trying to teach our superintendents, like clearly state the expectations. If you tell them you're going to have a daily report each day, you kind of shot yourself in the foot because now you right. have one every day. So <laughs> under promise over deliver on a lot of that. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Well, something I learned from you too is going back to the technology aspect is we've implemented now, we do the Matterport scan on every build. You know, so maybe speak to the Matterport, you know, and how you're using that. Yeah, so that's been a game changer with technology. So um, on our renovation side, what we'll do is before we start construction. So once they've moved everything out of the house, the house is empty, we'll go through, we'll do a Matterport scan of the whole project. And the reason for that is a lot of times in a renovation, things happen, right? They come up, they're a ding on the wall or a door all of a sudden got dented. And you're kind of saying like, okay, was that the construction team? Was that already there? And you're kind of stuck between. And most of the time as the contractor, we just kind of pick it up, right? We're like, okay, I can't really prove it wasn't us. We'll pick it up. So the Matterport all just keeps everyone honest. So we're able to go through, scan the whole property. If there's an issue later on where a door is dented, we could look back out on our own side and be like, no, it was dented before. And then have that conversation with the owner and say, and we're up front with them. We tell them ahead of time, say, we scan the whole project ahead of time. So that's the first thing we do is on a remodel. And then on a remodel new build, once we before we drywall and before we insulate, we go ahead and scan the whole project as well. And so that helps us a lot with wires that we bury in the wall for like critical location, wall sconces or things like that. We'll bury the wires in the wall um, or cabinet guys if they're trying to figure out what's behind the wall. If there's a pipe or electrical behind it. If they keep hitting notch plates, they can look at the scan and, and figure out what's behind the wall. Before they, before they get a, a drill bit out or something and drill through something they're not supposed to. So that, that's been really critical. And we actually, we just bought our own Matterport. So we did this last year because we figured we're going to use this on every single project. It's well worth its money. Um, we have some projects where, like we were saying, where the clients, we're doing a condo up in Vail. And so Vail is two hours away from Denver. So we scanned the whole project and then down back in Denver, we're able to review the project 
ahead of time before we start construction, walk through it visually with them and help convey that to our subcontractors as well. It's amazing. And what's interesting about the, the Matterport is dimensionally, you can have it super accurate for dimensions as you're pulling stuff yep. off. Um, to your point, I know that Spencer, we had a project and we don't do a whole lot of renovations. This one um, is a client of ours and we're doing a renovation for them. So same thing. We actually were able to go through at the Matterport because one thing that's really tough is the that the house that we're remodeling, they didn't have the original blueprints or plans and the architect that was hired, like he didn't really do a good job actually field measuring and making sure right. things are right. So his plan, nothing matched on his plan set. So the Matterport, we were able to kind of rectify all that and, and make sure that we had everything right internally. So just a ton of value, not just from a precautionary standpoint, but also from just a, a you know, convenience and accurate bidding and install aspect. Oh yeah. And the cool thing is with the Matterport, so we could scan the whole project, which usually, you know, like a house that's 6,000 square foot, we could scan the whole house in about an hour. And we have our superintendents do the scan. So it's very easy to train on our superintendents do it. They get to know the job a little bit better because they're scanning it. But then after we do the scan, we can order a 2D set of plans. And usually we have that within 24 hours. We have those 2D set of plans that we're able to mark up because those come a lot faster, right? Then the design team can even produce their CAD files. So we have those 2D plans. We're able to start sketching things, doing takeoffs, helping with our budgeting. It's huge. We're able to get a budget out that's more accurate ahead of the design team. And so we did no that on way. this renovation. Yeah, and real quick, there's no way. Like if you're if you have an architect draftsman trying to go through and field measure, they're not going to have that done in two oh, days. Oh, with lasers and they're pointing everything and they're oh, I forgot the measurement of this wall and they got to go back because they forgot a measurement and we're able to pull up the file and. And granted, it's probably not, you don't want to build off it. They say it's accurate within an eighth of an inch, but in the fact you could just order it and within less than 24 hours, I could have a set of 2D plans that I could then import into Bluebeam or I can import it into Revit and have accurate measurements. So an example of that is we're actually purchasing a property. We're in the process of closing on a property for our new office. Um, this property we're able, we went in, we Matterport scanned the whole thing, and then we're able to put preliminary budgets together for the loan and everything else and put together a scenario, put together pricing for that and submit that as part of the loan within 24 hours. We had all that before even getting an architect involved. So that type of stuff just speeds up the process and it just makes you more savvy on that business side. It's incredible. How, um, with builder trend, what do you, so being that you have Matterport using, uh, again, you mentioned that you had the skill set of Revit and CAD and, of course, um, uh, Bluebeam. How are you using Build-A-Trend? So Build-A-Trend, I think for that, so we're not giving our subcontractors access to that. We just found it's just too complicated trying to manage, manage that, too complicated trying to train that. Most of the time, if we could just get our subcontractors to send an email to us or to <laughs> send an yeah. invoice that's properly formatted, I mean, that's a, a big win for us. To get them to read the plans is a big thing. And so for us, what we'll do is we put everything in Builder Trend and then we'll go ahead and PDF certain things. So like if we're doing a punch list, I actually just send Sp Spencer some copies of some of the examples we use. So like if we're doing a punch list, we'll do it on Builder Trend because all the thumbnails are really nice and neat. It's all gridded. It's all organized. We can assign it to a subcontractor. We created uh, a, a finish date on it and then we can PDF it and then we could text it to the subcontractor. So what our superintendent will do is he'll create that list. He'll create it as a PDF. He'll send a text message to them and text it to them. They can pull it up on their phone, zoom in on it. It's all formatted properly. 
And then if they want to print it off, if they're old school, they want to print it off and hand write on a checklist. They just hand it back to the superintendent at the end of the day, or he takes a picture of it. And then our superintendent will update that on build a trend. That's amazing. And now how, how have you built the network? Cause going back to, you know, just this raw start where you decide I'm going back to Colorado and <laughs> start my own company. Yeah. Um, where did you start? I mean, just ground one, trying to get clients, trying to meet architects, get designers. I mean, you're starting from scratch. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend that. I don't think that's the best approach. I mean, ideally it would have been nice. Sometimes I'm kind of envious. I'm like, Oh, it's nice. You know, sometimes I meet these different builders and it's like, Oh, I worked for this other large custom home builder. And then <laughs> eventually I learned all the skills and took some of their documents and systems. And I went out on my own and did my own thing or my dad, you know, started the business and I grew up in the business. So I didn't have that. I didn't have anyone in my family that's in construction. I'm the only person in any sort of construction. And so not having that background, not having anyone to lean on is really that baptism by fire, just getting thrown into it. So I think for me, the biggest thing I learned from the very beginning, any successful project or any beautiful project, there was always a successful design team behind it. So we as a contractor, right, we could build anything, but it's like your project's only as beautiful as the design behind it. And so I learned that in, in commercial, it's like, okay, all these cool, very you know, awesome, sexy projects is because the design was beautiful. As the contractor, we just carried out the design. We didn't actually do any of the beautiful work. We just put the work in place. And so when I started my company, I was like, okay, so I need to figure out who are the key players in the residential world. So I realized early on that the first people in on a renovation, like a, a large scale custom renovation was interior designer. They were always the first people in way before a contractor was ever selected was an interior designer. And then on the build side, I found that it was the architect was usually the first one in a lot of times before the, before the builder was selected. And so what I did is I just built, you know, kind of nerded out and just built a spreadsheet and said, okay, who are all the top interior designer firms of this size, of this volume in the Denver market? Who are all the top ar architects in the Denver market? And then just started cold calling using LinkedIn, using Instagram, trying to connect with these people, trying to set up, you know, lunches with them, meet and greets with them. And those just flourished into different relationships. So I, I looked at it as, you know, if you build a new home, there's always those clients where you might do multiple projects with them, but those are, those are pretty rare. Like most of the time, if you're building a large scale house, that's probably the only house you're going to build for that, that person. But an interior designer, I looked at it like those are truly my clients, the interior designers and the architects. Those are the people I'm working with because interior design, I'll do multiple projects with an interior designer or a real estate agent. Now, what's interesting is hearing this background of spreadsheet and cold calls, how effective <laughs> was that? Because that's a lot of work to do that. And how receptive were the design firms as you'd reach out? Right. Yeah, no good question. So I think there's obviously you got to preface that. If you're just calling somebody, because we all have those LinkedIn accounts, I get those messages every day where it's like, hey, we got this sweet IT service, or we've been yeah. we created this website for you, you know, and those. I'm an estimator. Those, yeah, I'm yeah estimator. estimator. Get those all the time, or you got CAD drawings and stuff. So I think first you got to establish that relationship. So I think it's got to be genuine. And so that's my biggest thing is like, it's got to be genuine. So from the very beginning, it's like I'd connect with them, kind of let that connection sit for a little bit, dormant, maybe comment on a couple of their things, like a couple of their things get in front of their face that way and then reach out to them. But I didn't reach out to them kind of soliciting a job is more reaching out to them saying, Hey, I'd love to learn more about your firm. I like the work you guys do. I'd like to learn more about your system, more about your process. And that was very receptive when I do that. Yeah, it's tough. I think that's one of the hardest things, especially being in a new market 
is to start building those relationships because they're like everybody. I'm sure they were busy and they're Absolutely. like, who's this guy calling me? Who's Tim? And what's your yeah, experience? Totally. What's your resume? Right. Yeah. So especially being young, you know, even though you're building some support through social media and you're contacting them and building a relationship, did any of them have reservations saying, well, Tim, you know, what have you built your new company? If I'm going to refer you for one of my clients, you know, did you ever have any resistance as far as that aspect went? You know, so I thought in the beginning, I thought that was going to be, be a big hindrance. But then I started realizing that it was actually to my advantage. So as I brought and I presented myself professionally, I talked about our system. So I'd always bring um, our forms to these meetings. I'd say, okay, here's our, our schedule, like a, a template of how we do our schedule. Here's a template of how we order materials, things like that. Right there, that kind of established that connection. And I'd always see with these people, they'd be like, wow, my contractor doesn't do that. My contractor has no idea where he's at in the project or when it's going to finish or where it's out in the budget wise. So if we were able to present those systems to them, it kind of, you're able to bypass some of those other things, you know, and having those qualifiers from the beginning. Well, I, I think the taking point from this is it's really easy to look back and say, well, you know, Tim was lucky or, or I mean, whatever, but no, the reality right. is like, not only is there dedication, there's going to be, you know, build that relationship of trust. There's going to be the constant diligence to follow up and go meet them and make time from your side, but the preparation, right. And I think that's the one step most people don't realize is just what separates you, Tim, from a builder, right. And if you are prepared, if you have systems in place and you can present that and educate that, there is a wow factor for these design teams to see a contractor mm -hmm. is utilize, utilizing technology, trying to be better tomorrow than they are today. Um, and I, I would imagine just gives them comfort to say, if I'm referring to Tim, I know this is someone who's really cares about the craft and wants to do better. No, absolutely. I think, I think it's important anything in life. Like I'm huge on relationships and building different connections. You know, I could look at all the, the great things that have happened to me in my life and it's all been built upon different relationships, different connections, a little, tidbit here and that grew into this relationship and spawned into meeting, meeting that person and that person and so forth. And so I think it's got to be genuine from the beginning when you're talking with these people. And I think the, the important thing for me when I was meeting with these companies is like, I need to sincerely learn about your company. I need to learn what is the process of an interior designer? How do they take it from the, the pretty pictures on Pinterest that they're sending, the client sending them, how do they take that and put it into a detailed schedule of material selections, all that, put a budget together and actually put a project that's buildable. And so as I learned their process and got to know their process, I'm like, okay, so you do that, you do selections. Okay, you need to have this for selections. You need to have that. It helped me as a builder to basically speak their language more, right? And same with an architect is I know how to put the drawings together, not to their detail and sophistication, but I understand the process, the workflow and what goes into it. I'm able to understand them a little bit more, right? So it's not all about me, 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 me. It's more like, what do you, how do you work? And same with our clients, right? It's like, what are your needs? What are your wants? And how as a builder, can we help to fill that void? So what does that look like now for you? I mean, th that relationship with your pre-construction team, we'll call it your designer architect, how's that evolved and, you know, comfort level now? Yeah, I think it's got a lot more sophisticated as the years went on. You know, I think in the beginning is a lot of, I mean, it is rough in the beginning, to be totally honest with you, is a lot of rough and is a lot of, oh, you guys do this. And I was like, oh, of course we do that. And then you're back at the office like, crap, I better type up this and figure out how this works, you know, and Google this. <laughs> but I think it's gotten more sophisticated over the time where it's like, 
we're able to sit down in these client expectation meetings and we're able to say, okay, as the builder, here's the deliverables that we need in order to be successful and speak confident to those. And then as an interior designer, okay, what are your deliverables? And as a builder, how can we help you to fulfill the roles that you need to fulfill? Now, with you having a commercial background, especially to understand you have a residential, um, I would imagine that not every client is, you know, pro on hiring a designer. How do you bridge that conversation? Yeah. <laughs> so we won't do any project if, unless there's an interior design team. One, it kind of pre-qualifies the client, right? Like if they're not willing to invest in a design team or invest in detailed plans to us it's like you don't see the value what they could bring and you're not going to see the value we bring like you just need somebody to put the work in place and that's not who we are like we're not we don't show up to the job with all the materials there that you bought and we don't we don't installers right like we're a general contractor we manage the whole process and so it's educating clients because a lot of clients don't realize that a lot of clients we get it where it's like the husband will say, well, my wife's pretty much a designer, you know, she does dabbles in interior design, you know, and she does stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, she has a nice Pinterest board, but it doesn't mean she actually is an interior designer. Like there's an art and a craft to interior designer and it's a very respectable trade. And so, yeah, to answer your question, I think it's educating the clients and saying, okay, well, we need to be successful as a builder in order to keep your project in, um, under budget. We actually need to bring a design team and we can recommend a design team but it has to be a design team that works with our system and our process. And so we'll help interview the design team with them and make sure it's a good fit for us. If it's someone we're recommending or if it's someone they're recommending, make sure it's a good fit for the project as well. It's funny you say that because I, I liked how you preface that. And, uh, you know, essentially you're saying, you know, if they don't want a designer, they're not really a qualified client, right? That's how we're going to vet them from us because mm -hmm. if they don't recognize the value and, Having having done this long enough, and and I can speak to this for me, is that there's you know there's some draftsmen that can design a pretty house, but their plans are are terrible, and it's like right. it creates such they're an issue for me. Yeah. They're not buildable, <laughs> and and in essence, what that means is delays and issues and frustration and costs to the client. Whereas the client can invest a little bit more, you know, in the design phase, and again, it's a value proposition. Yeah, there's some cost, but the value back in details and sections um that you're just not getting you know from a from a draftsman and you you get burned so many times that i think it becomes easier especially later in your career because i'm sure day one tim just like me i mean it's it's hard to go push on that but now as you become a little bit more seasoned and you've been through this some life experience behind you it's real easy to push back and say look guys i've been through this here's all the failures i've had do this yep. there's an investment up front but the value on the back end is huge and it'll just pay itself forward yeah. And I think that's the pushback. I, you know, when I talk to different builders and different people starting their businesses that call me and ask for advice, they say, well, we can't fit that in the budget. And I'm like, well, you really can't fit. You can't afford not to put that in the budget. Right. I mean, it's all going to come back on you because you're the one delivering it. And if you can't deliver that tile detail exactly the way they have it in their head, you're going to be the one tearing it out, fixing it. And so it goes back to that thing where it's like, it's part of this team effort. I tell interior designers, architects this all the time. It's like, there can't be any ego on this project. Like, yes, I'm the builder and I help and orchestrate a lot of things, but it's not my house. It's not your house and it's not the architect's house. It's the person signing the check. It's their house. And ultimately it's their project. And so if we can't work together as a cohesive team with no egos involved, working for the best interests of the, the client, then we shouldn't be working together. Yeah, I totally agree. 
Let, let me ask you this, because you mentioned early on in the conversation, you said that, you know, especially moving to Colorado, you don't recommend it, <laughs> not having, you know, any contacts. And it's not like, you know, you, you work for another builder. Why construction? Why did you pick construction being that, you know, it's not really, I don't want to say family heritage, but you don't really have any close people in, in the industry. Yeah. I think it fits together with my my personality. I mean, ever since I was young, I just was it's always come natural to me to be able to visualize certain things, to construct them in my head, to deconstruct them in my head, and then to put them into place. And I think the thing I like most about construction is taking all these raw materials and people and all these different elements and features and orchestrating this in this great symphony and building something that's beautiful end of the day that you could walk through. You could touch the finishes. You could sit on the the couches and it's a space that the family will be able to live in and have these memories And I think that was a big thing for me in commercial. So like in commercial, I enjoyed it. It was great. I learned a ton. I wouldn't change anything about it. But there was always this disconnect with the end user, right? So it's like we had spent all this time, all this blood, sweat, and tears putting this project together. And then the client moves in and they don't care about it. I mean, it's just a place of work for them. They don't really care. They're they're taping things on the wall, pictures of their family on those beautiful level five finishes that you punch five different times to get it just right <laughs> and smooth coat. And, and they're taping things on duct tape. And you're like, no, no, no. What are you doing? Don't put that on there. And so there was always that disconnect, that emotional disconnect. And so I think why I gravitate towards residential is there's that connection with people. Like, yes, there's that headache factor that a lot of people don't like about residential, but there's this real connection with people like you're part of their life for a short period of time you get to know them you get to know their children you get to know about their family you meet their parents a lot of time because they come tour the projects you meet their friends they get to know your family just this i don't know something about that really makes it all worthwhile when it's all said and done and you finish this project and you got this beautiful family moving into this house and you're like we did that we helped create this memory for them yeah and this and despite like the, the headaches that come with construction, you know, it's funny as you look back and you seem to forget like the pain points sometimes and you look at, you know, <laughs> right. the project you built and the client moved in, and then there definitely is, you know, a lot of satisfaction at the end of the day, just having worked through it. Yeah, no, absolutely. We try to involve like the family as much as possible. I mean, granted, we have some clients that's like kind of just tell us when you need to get paid and if you need anything from us and we'll show up at the very end of it. But a lot of times we our ideal client is we like working for families. We like working for families where they're involved in. We try to involve their children. Like if it's a house and we're scraping that house, like we set up like a demo day for the kids. And so we'll provide little safety glasses and hard hats and stuff for the kids. We'll set up like a little obstacle course for them. We'll spray paint on the ground and like have different stations where we teach them how to use like a sawzall or something like that. So they feel part of it and then take a picture of the family we're having the husband and wife go through and you know, hit some walls and do some stuff like that. And it just, they feel part of it and they feel part of the process. And then they kind of step away and then we knock the house down and we start um, the actual building, but it's fun. I enjoy that part of it. So what does that communication look like during the build? I mean, how often, and I know it varies depending on how much your clients want to be involved, but do you have maybe a procedure or in place on how often you want you or your team communicating? Yeah. So I guess on the client side, we have a weekly meeting with the client, whether that's in person or it's via Zoom or FaceTime. We try to have every one week. meeting a week, every week. Yep. And that that's huge. So in the beginning, we didn't do that. And then there's always these problems where we'd be hard working on the project, but it's like, hey, I haven't heard from Tim in a while. I haven't heard from his team. You know, I wonder what they're doing. And then it kind of builds, they start making up this narrative in their head that you forgot about them or whatnot. But I think having the weekly meeting 
and they're not, they don't have to be long meetings, but it's a set meeting every single week. We establish that at the very beginning and say, okay, what day works for you? Okay, Wednesday, Wednesday at 10.30. Let's do that every single week where we meet Wednesday at 10.30. And it might just be the wife or it might be the wife and the husband or they might bring their kids one day. But that's been huge. Just be able to say, okay, here's what's coming up next week. Hey, did you make that selection on this? This is coming up. Oh, don't forget, like we have that change order coming up. So you got to make sure you fund that change order. And it just keeps it more less combat combative right through the whole process and it's not this owner against the contractor it's more this relationship so and and now with the brand you've built of course you have a lot of relationships with the design team as you mentioned where are you finding your lead generation so the majority of our projects come from real estate agents interior designers architects and social media and so let me me ask you this with real estate maybe if i ask this how difficult, because one question that's often asked is a lot of realtors will be, hey, Tim, I have a project for you, but there's a commission side. Is that pretty prevalent in Denver that they're asking maybe for like a finder fee? No. So we don't accept any finder fees and we don't provide that. Like same with our interior designers. Like I don't want people referring us to a project because they're expecting to get a commission and vice versa. Like I want to refer you to the project because you're a good fit for the project. So no, we don't get that with realtors and with interior designers. I think with realtors, a lot of it's building the relationship, right? Because a lot of times you'll get realtors and say, hey, can you look at this project? I'm trying to sell it to these homeowners. They want to see the vision of what this can be. And they're kind of just using your ideas and your thoughts. And then nine times out of 10, you know, it's like, do they actually get the project? Are they going to buy it? But I think once you build that relationship with these real estate agents, then they can trust you as a valuable source and a credible source in the industry. And then if the real estate agent has that connection with the homeowner and they're referring us, then chances are we're going to get that project. So what's keeping you up at night? (laughs) Everything keeps me up at night, Brad. I mean, as a business owner, I mean, it's just like, so working in commercial, work for somebody else had its own stresses. Working for yourself is way more stressful. I think that's, (laughs) I think that's the misconception a lot of people have. It's like, oh, I'm going to work for myself. It's going to be great. I'm going to have all this time off. I'm going to be on the beach all the time. have my own freedom. It's like, no, you can never turn off the business, right? It's always with you. like, And it's just got to be part of the conversation with your spouse, your significant other and saying, okay, it's always going to be with me. Like we're going to have time where we can be in Mexico. We could go on trips, but there's going to be times where I might have to peel away and the kids are doing this or that or on a roller coaster. I'm like on the side, kind of in the corner on a phone call, you know, handling the situation, but then I'm right back We've at it. We've all been you know? there. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> so I think that keeps me up. I think what keeps me up at night is just, the growth of the business and trying to think of what the next step is, what the next move is for the business, what the next move is for my staff. Are they having the quality of life that they need? Am I helping my clients to have an easier, smoother process? Am I the roadblock? A lot of times that's what it is. It's like, I'm the one holding back a lot of the the progress, right? It's funny you say that. I, I had a little awakening. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty good you know, boss or someone to work for. But at the same time, I think there's some things that just naturally become a roadblock as much as you want to empower people and enable them and not be a micromanager. There's just things, right. that get held up and our builder 20 came out and we did an audit. We had a SWAT, right. And, and, uh-huh. and one of the things they said, they said, Brad, you know, you tend to um, make decisions quickly and maybe you're not listening to what everyone's telling you. You just kind of jump on it. And, and really you're trying to be a problem solver. And that's, kind of my makeup. I know that I just try to solve problems right away. 
and that you need to take some time to sit down and kind of have, you know, like a leadership group, leadership team where you're sitting down and, and that's been super reflective, right? Sitting down with them regularly with kind of my core group um, to understand, am I being a roadblock? You know, are there, and, and not just me, do we have roadblocks in the company, you know, that mm-hmm. are inhibiting people from being successful? We did like any company you do and you start exposing yeah. those because employees see things that I don't. And then now we're making, you know, we're, we're striving to make changes so that we don't have those anymore. No, I agree. I think it's that mentality and I have this, it's like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right. And right. so it's like always trying to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, people that know the system or the process. If I'm trying to get into a certain space or a market, say we wanted to expand into the mountain region, well, then I'm going to connect with people who are successful in the mountain region. I'm going to see what they're doing, how their logistics work, what are their teams make up, what's the size of the company they're in. And that's been huge. I think for our leadership team as a small company, I think you have to look outside yourself, right? So like you have to have that honest conversation and realize like, I don't have all the answers, but that's okay not to have all the answers. And instead of looking within my own biased opinions, I need to look outside myself and find builders. And if it's not in your own marketplace, because a lot of times you'll get pushback on that. I found that early on. It's like, I'm reaching out to builders in the Colorado market. No one wants to give you the time of day, like your competition to them. They see you as that. But then as I started reaching outside of Colorado, oh my gosh, people are so receptive to share information. You get these contacts and these different mentors all throughout the country where you're able to call up. And there's been many times where I shoot you a text message or a call. There's other people in different uh, states, California, whether it's you know Tennessee and just calling them up and saying, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And they give you that honest feedback and they say, you know what, that's not really good how you're doing that. You should probably charge this much or do that. And that becomes kind of your outsourced board of directors in one way or another. And it makes you wonder how people did business before without having those resources on hand. I can I can imagine like trying to figure it all out yourself. Like, and I think you know to your point early on, it's like going off on my own, starting having you no. Know, it forced me to reach outside. I didn't have a father figure I could turn to. I didn't have um, a business mentor that I worked with. So early on, I established this relationship with this great builder in Colorado, and he is an older gentleman. He's been around for a long time. So we'd have lunch at once a month. We'd schedule these lunches and we'd just sit down and he'd just basically open up his his wealth of knowledge to me and say, hey, make sure you look out for this. Look out for this. Hey, are you using this form? Hey, you should get in contact with my accountant. He does this or that. And, and that stuff's been huge. Like just realizing that you got to be humble, right? You got to be humble and realize that you don't have all the answers. No matter how well you are, Brad, there's always gonna be someone that's better than Brad that's doing it faster than Brad's more successful, more profitable than Brad. It's just always the reality, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. What's interesting is when I was asking about what keeps you up, you said quality of life of my employees. And that's interesting. I mean, it kind of shows the person you are when, when you make that statement, um, maybe what are some of those concerns for your employees that you have? So I think, you know, for me is like looking at when I got into business, I'm like, okay, if I'm not improving the lives, so family is really important to me. If I'm not improving in some way or another, the family lives of my subcontractors, the people I work with, then I'm really feeling as a business owner. If I'm not able to have systems in place or a schedule in place that allows my drywaller to work better hours or to not work on the weekends, then what am I doing wrong in my system or my process or my schedule so that it's taking him away as a father on the weekends. So he's not showing up to his son's baseball game or whatnot. I never want to be that roadblock for my subcontractors. And so for me, because in commercial, there wasn't the best quality of life. I mean, it was more like the business came first 
And then after that, it's like, yeah, then have your family and figure out how to manage it all. And I wanted to kind of flip that around and be like, no, families first. Family should be the priority. That's what makes you who you are. And the business should support that family relationship in some way or another. So it's like, I want to be more successful. I want to be more profitable. I want to have um, a better company so that in return, my employees and my subcontractors have are more profitable, that they can buy their first house if that's their goal. Or if their goal is to travel more, they could do that more. So what does it look like when you talk about growth of business? I mean, where, where are you hoping to be? So I think, I mean, I guess, which way are you asking? Like if you're asking value wise or size wise, I mean. Yeah, I don't think it's size. I mean, I don't, I don't think size is really important, but I think, yeah, value. I mean, we're, you know, based on where you are, maybe it could be, you know, project scope. It could be just, you know, value of, as you mentioned with your employees and what, what you're building, the brand you're building. So I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to make more of a shift. I don't think we'll ever get out of the luxury innovation space for us. It's those projects are good because they fill the gaps in when you have downtime in the weather, uh, they're profitable jobs for us. And there's a lot of problem solving that comes from doing a renovation that helps us in the new build, but we'd like to have our portfolio where we have more new builds. So it's more heavy on the new build side and renovations is a little bit lighter. So I think as far as like project makeup, that's the project makeup that we are looking for. And just not looking to grow faster, you know, than we have cap- capability of performance that can successfully, happen. right? Yeah, that part's tough. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, we tend to have, um, you know, our appet- or, you know, our eyes are bigger than our stomach. You know, I think that's pretty common sometimes <laughs> with food. It's pretty common with jobs, right? Trying to win all those jobs. So, Tim, yeah. I mean, you've been amazing. I just, you know, let me ask you this, though. What do you do for fun? Um, like, so... F- Family is a big thing, like I talked about. So I think for me, the ideal situation is like, if I'm able to travel, we love traveling. I love seeing the experiences, like my kids getting different experiences, pushing them to do something out of their comfort zone, helping them to grow. And so I love doing that. So whenever we have time off, usually we're traveling with the kids, uh, with the family, doing something like that. That fills up a good chunk of the the time. It's amazing to be able to travel. I mean, that's super fortunate. Um, that's definitely... I, I would agree. That's something I love doing for fun too with my family. Um, and again, I know how busy you've been, so I appreciate making time with us today. So for those listening, um, where can they find you? The best place would be on Instagram at Alderview Construction. That's usually where we have the most updated information, kind of where we're going. Uh, we're pretty active on there. So messaging back and forth is, that's good for us. Well, Tim, you've been incredible. I appreciate the friendship. Thanks for coming to visit us in person. And, uh, I'm excited for a lot of our network to get to know you and what you're doing out there in Colorado. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Brad. Appreciate you having me on. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.